What's going on guys and welcome back to another episode of the Listen Whilst You Step podcast and today I am joined by a very special guest, a very special guest there. Dave has now been with us uh, as a client for coming up to six months I believe. Uh, Yeah, give or take, yeah. I think it was April so yeah, about four or five months, yeah. Yeah, coming up too. And he's got he's got some big goals, some big ambitions kind of moving forwards. Um, but he managed to uh, achieve a pretty special feat uh, within some stuff before, which we're going to talk about. But uh, one mate, a massive, massive thank you for coming on to the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. I know you're going to share some uh, some wisdom and some probably some interesting stories, to say the least. <laughs> um, but do you want to just give on a little bit of an intro, who you are, what you do, and then just kind of your background and kind of how you got into fitness? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, thanks. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me. Yeah, really appreciate this, the, the opportunity. Um, so uh, I'm Dave. Um, I'm 34. Um, I work in um, uh, work in the city in sort of mostly kind of a best desk based job. Um, but up until a few years ago, I was in the army, um, did about 10 years in the army. And I think that's probably where my background in fitness kind of really came from. Um, I think it gave me um obviously a lot of structure a lot of discipline uh but i think in terms of kind of from a mindset perspective that was really important as well and and so i think you know from kind of foundational perspective with fitness um the army really was was kind of you know critical and, and has really kind of seen me through um uh yeah my journey um and kind of where i am now um and also yeah sort of post army it sort of given me the opportunity to kind of hang on to something my sense of identity i suppose uh which is which is really important yeah 100 percent. i can uh obviously i can't relate to coming out of the army but even when i came out of sport like playing uh, a very very high level of rugby like when you see yourself as like i saw myself as the tennis player then i was a rugby player and i can imagine you saw yourself as like i'm in the army and then when you kind of come out of that that must have been quite a hard transition yeah yeah it was and it's interesting you bring up you know people coming out of high level sport because I think it is a kind of very similar transition. Um, you know, the the army, in the same way that professional sport is, is like it is your identity. It's who you are, and when you make that big transition, you previously were surrounded by people who understood you and knew everything about you, and you could talk to someone for thirty seconds, and you could basically know everything about them. You know, like where they come from, what they've done, who your shared contacts were, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you leave that world. And you go into, and, and Lauren hates me saying this, my, my girlfriend hates me saying this, but I talk about the civilian world, you know, and it's like, it's just this totally different environment. And for me, um, you know, exercise and sport was that kind of anchor point. And it really helped ground me in who I was and kind of supported me through that transition. So I think in the court of, you know, sort of six months to a year after I left the army, I was probably doing more exercise than I was when I was still serving because it's like it, it kind of helped ground me in that sense of myself and and it was yeah hugely important yeah 100 is like the the biggest thing that i missed coming out of sport was that i don't know if you can relate is like the uh well I, i'm lined up to go on a pitch or the whistle's about to go that butterfly feeling like that slight, slightly nervous slightly anxious or the let's fucking go kind of feeling yeah. or like or winning, like winning, scoring a try, just that, that 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 kind of feeling is what I miss, and that's why I now probably very very similar to yourself search for these kind of challenges to kind of I, that that's the feeling that I really want to get, and it sounds really sadistic. I want to find myself on the side of a road crying, like I want yeah. to find break. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's the why. Why would you say you now kind of throwing yourself into the challenges and really trying to see what you are capable of? Because when we had our first chat, it was it was very difficult for us to kind of set goals, wasn't it? Because it was just I want to see what my potential is. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that's it. You know, my my starting point is always, you know, find the most ridiculous thing. Find find the thing that makes you laugh because it's so absurd and go do that. Like that's that's my that's my objective. And the thing and I, and I guess there's, you know, there's an element of pride and there's an element of kind of, you know, self, you know, that that kind of sense of satisfaction from it of kind of doing something that everyone kind of looks at you sideways and it's like are you are you mad and, and i'm like well no but maybe a little bit like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly where, um, where, do you, where do you think that um that drive that kind of i want to prove people wrong comes from yeah i've got, I've got it heavily yeah <laughs> i don't know i mean if you want to get you know if you want me to roll out the psychiatrist couch it's probably <laughs> you know sort of traumatic childhood experiences of being bullied and you know no I'm joking um I don't know I think so 
I so personally, I think it's probably a little bit a little bit genetic. So my my dad was um, was a rugby player, um, sort of many many years ago, and I think he he for me he kind of set that example of what was possible and what you can achieve. So he played for Harlequins. He was also on the England squad, and he was a very high level um, rower. And and even after he kind of he kind of given all that up, he was you know sport was still a really important part of his life so i think in some ways it was you know my my sporting achievement is is part of me trying to find a connection with my with my father um but also i think it's about that that sense of yeah kind of finding my limits and pushing myself and and everybody i think chooses those ways to push yourself in different ways so some people that might be academically some people it might be you know, seeing how, uh, you know, sort of learning something really complex and something new or, you know, whatever it is, or pushing themselves at work. But for me, it's it's about sport. It's about that physical achievement. That's where I kind of get my get my kick from from kind of pushing myself beyond what I think is possible. Yeah, it's very interesting. I can massively relate to that. Um, my parents were amazing. There's two things I took away. One thing was from my mum, and it was that she, no matter how old I was, I clearly remember saying, if you want to achieve something, as long as you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want to. I will thank her, <laughs> thank her endlessly for that. My dad, incredibly supportive, took me to all the rugby matches and things in the world, but bless his soul, he never once told me like, I'm proud of you. I knew he was, but he never once told me. So I think me pushing myself in sport subconsciously was a little bit, probably very, very similar to like, I want to make him proud of me, things like that, even though I knew he was proud of me, but it's really interesting that it's like, I think your vibe attracts your tribe and things like that. It's probably quite interesting yeah. that we've got a fairly similar story um, that way. But obviously the reason we came on the podcast was kind of to talk about the the big, amazing, pretty bonkers uh, fitness. Uh, <laughs> what do we, how, how do we, how do we explain this? Just the, the man, thing you managed to achieve and it's the Marathon de Saab, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So so M- uh, MDS Marathon de Saab is um, uh, it's a it's a multi-stage desert race in the Sahara Desert in Morocco, um, and it, it, I'm going to try to avoid getting technical because it gets a little bit a little bit crazy. But basically, it's a six it's a five day sorry six six day five stage race um, covers about 250 kilometers or you know about 150 miles. Um, and it's and it's effectively self-supported. So you carry all your own food, all your own equipment. You get resupplied with water along the way, uh, but pretty much everything you start with on day one, that's what you that's what you take with you. Um, and um, yeah, it's just this incredible challenge. There's about a thousand people do it every year. It's been running for 35, 36 years now. Um, and it, and it's yeah, it, it's just this incredible event, this festival in the desert. Um, you run it in run it in five stages you do day days one two three are kind of roughly marathon distances sort of anywhere between about between about um 30 and 40 kilometers um and then you do the the sort of um uh, the infamous long day which is a double day so it's about 85 so kind of effectively a double marathon um and then there's a rest day and then you do a final marathon to finish on day on day six um and then they take you off to this really nice five-star hotel and you um, spend a day by the pool eating and drinking. And yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know about that part. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's worth doing the whole thing just for that hotel at the end. So you left that out when you told me about it. Um, how much weight were you carrying at the start of it then? So the minimum, the minimum weight is um, I think six and a half kilos. Um, and that's, you know, it's like all these things. If you're if if you're right up at the front, if you're one of the guys competing for the top, they're really hot on kind of how much you're carrying and all that sort of stuff. If you're if you're one of the like me, middle of the pack, and you're carrying six and a half kilos, it means you probably haven't got enough food to finish the race. Um, so I was, I think my starting point was about eleven kilos, eleven and a half kilos or something like that. But that was a conscious decision on my part that I was going to carry as much food as I could because I knew that my burn rate. You know, they, they, like I said, regulations, you have to carry a minimum number of calories every day. And it's about 2000, but anyone who's done any marathon running knows that 2000 calories to run a marathon ain't going to cut it. <laughs> let's, let's just put that in perspective right now. Obviously we'll, we'll get on to put your training for the Ironman uh, yeah. right now. Do you want to just explain to everyone what's your right average calorie intake at the moment? So on a standard day, I'm putting away about three and a half. And then on the long training days, it's, it's anywhere between four and four and a half if i've got a really really big day so it's which is even the big day is probably less than what you were doing 
during the MDS. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. What you think about, yeah, that that double day, <laughs> you know, in the in the heat with everything else that's going on. Uh, oh, and that's plus. So you're carrying water on top of that as well. So you've got your you've got the weight of everything, and then you're carrying about another three kilos of water on top of that at all time. Um, you know, sort of between the checkpoints. Um, so I made that conscious decision that I was like, I'm just going to take as much food as I can carry, and I'd rather go a little bit slower and carry the food to see me through than kind of cut down on food and and you know potentially screw myself over. And, and I saw people do that. You know, there were some people took two thousand calories, and you know after two days they went man down. Um, you know, it was it was it was really bad. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's uh, you start to run, you start to get into endurance stuff. You realize how important fueling is in a. If you're doing shorter stuff, anything sub two two hours, you can you can kind of just push fucking through it. But as soon as you start to go kind of really over that two hour mark, you start to realize if you've actually fueled it well, you can keep going. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, it's okay, I'll carry a bit less. I'll do all right, and nah, it's not good. It's just not gonna happen. Just not gonna happen. <laughs> um, so where where did the idea of MDS kind of come from? Was it something you've always wanted to do, or was it? Yeah, so I think I can't remember exactly when I heard about it, but it was um it's been quite a few years um that it's been on my on my on my bucket list. Um and I think it was, you know, it's it's whenever I whenever I heard about something that was so ridiculous that it would kind of make that it would make me laugh and that people would kind of look at me sideways, I'd be like, Well, that's a good indicator that I'm gonna go off and do that now. So it's been it's been on my list for a little while um and there are now more things kind of being added to that list all the time when you start to move into this world and this environment all these other things pop up and you're like oh we can do that i can do that but yeah for me it was it was sort of it was the pinnacle of stupidity i think it's probably the easiest way to put it um, I, love, I love the filter i love the filter that you're looking at through things through here if someone laughs at it yes i'm in love yeah, it. yeah yeah <laughs> if something's ridiculous enough to actually make people laugh then it's worth doing um and that was the same with uh same with iron man as well there's you know that it's sort of all, all those kind of things just went straight on the list it was like what's the most absurd thing i can think of i'm gonna go and do that yeah uh yeah i, I absolutely love it so do you want to just give kind of a, a bit of a, an inkling to people what the kind of training looked like for it yeah so um i so i tackled the training on my own um because as i said I've, I've got sort of a reasonable amount of experience with doing kind of endurance events and things like that so pretty much most of my work in the sort of six months to a year leading up to it was just was just long slow distance so it was um you know so the event is in april up until december um december january time i was i wasn't carrying any weight at all um it's one of the mistakes people make is they start carrying weight really early on and, and injure themselves so phase one of training or phase one and two of training which was back end of last year it was just slowly kind of increasing the distance and increasing the distance. And so I was, you know, sort of out for, you know, sort of two, three hours, most Sundays, um, just cranking out the distance and then doing a lot of, um, a lot of sort of relatively light resistance work in the gym, just to kind of increase that endurance in my muscles. Um, you know, but bulk is fine. Um, but obviously it's not going to get you through an ultra marathon. Um, so it was, um, yeah, it was all of that, trying to stay as lean as possible. Um, yeah, and just just kind of pound the pavements, really. I think what I underestimated um, was how difficult it was going to be on my, um, on those kind of stability muscles. So in my feet, you know, I think probably what would have been more valuable than just pounding the pavements for hours and hours at a time would have been getting out onto, you know, onto the South Downs and into the countryside and running on tracks where it's kind of uneven and you've got, you know, it's not flat and it's not level and you're kind of all over the place and there's rocks to deal with. I think that probably would have been much more helpful. Um, but I didn't do that. And so I was just in pain for six days. <laughs> That's what you wanted, right? Well, exactly. Exactly. If it doesn't hurt, it's not worth doing. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. But yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's, it's amazing how you can just overlook the little things. Like I know, obviously we've now got some plyometrics in our, our program for people who don't know that's just kind of like jumping, bounding and things like that. Um, and it's one of the easiest things to neglect. But if you want to look like an athlete, feel like an athlete, perform like an athlete um, and feel like for me, my favorite feelings, you know, when you just feel light and springy, like you feel that that's my favorite thing and uh particularly plyometrics and it is a massive thing for that and like your stability but they'll come through some of your plyometrics and things like that as well um so i think 
Obviously, we've got those in the program at the moment for the Ironman. I think you will notice a big difference. I mean, we can see the running times that you're running now um, without necessarily putting a massive emphasis on your running either. Um, makes me excited to see what's coming. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Very, very well, I've got the, for the last kind of few weeks, I've had the, um, I've had the, the finish line picture as the background of my laptop. Um, and I've been, I've been counting down. Um, so I did, um, I did the race last year and obviously, you know, one of the reasons why I, I kind of reached out for support was that I did the race last year and, and, um, uh, and piled in about 5k into the run. Um, so I was in terms of total distance, I was about 90% of the way there, which was a bit of a kick in the teeth, but, um, yeah, I'm now, I'm now really looking forward to going back and, uh, and taking my revenge on, on the race. Yeah. You're going to finish the end and you go, ha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think what I'm actually going to do is probably have a bit of a cry, to be honest. <laughs> That's, yeah. Tends to be my MO, get across the line, have a cry, and then... It's, it's, it's genuinely amazing how, like, endurance sport gets emotional towards the end. It, it's, oh, you, have some, you have some weird conversations in your own head, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's such it's such a mental game. And I think it's it's interesting you mentioned earlier about, you know, if you can run for two hours, you can run for longer. And you're absolutely right. I think it's it's once you get into that point of being able to hold, um, you know, if you can comfortably run a half marathon, you know, and you can run it as a as a man and as a sort of, you know, a youngish man, you can run it in about two hours. I think that's a good benchmark that if you can do that you can pretty much run for, for double it, triple it. It's just about managing your energy, managing your hydration and managing your mindset um, because the physicality is there, right? If you can run for two hours, you can run for six hours. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I think it's, it's amazing. And uh, me and Anna actually spoke about this. If you run a 10K, the last K is hard. You run 20K, the last 2K is hard. You run 40K, the last 5K is hard. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter how far you run. The last K is hard, but I think it's just because of that perceived thing as I'm coming to the end, it must be difficult. So yeah. I think it's a, it's a big thing, but it's, it's amazing. Uh, like I said, I think that's a really good point. It's just like, if you can establish that baseline of fitness, then it's just a case of putting yourself in the right place. It, it, it comes down to more than you can just grit, grit through it because if you can build the work capacity to be able to run a sub two hour half marathon, you have built the foundations aerobically and like fitness wise to be able to then push forward towards kind of whatever you need to. So obviously you mentioned nutrition there. What was... I think to, I'd like to look at this from two sides. I think people will take a lot of value away from it. What was nutrition like kind of in the training for it? And then what was nutrition like during the actual race? Yeah. So, so run up, run up to the race. Um, it was, it was a lot of high quality carbohydrate, um, relatively low fat. I didn't, I didn't fat, um, I didn't fat adjust um you know which i think a lot of people do just try and try and burn it off i didn't do that but i eat a relatively low fat diet anyway um so a lot of lean meats um a lot of good quality carbohydrates um and and then loads and loads of veg so um yeah we eat a lot of a lot of vegetables a lot of um salads a lot of fruit things like that nothing nothing kind of stellar you know it was just about doing the basics and doing the basics well um and getting the volume in to be able to recover that was kind of the key thing um yeah and i so my 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 secret weapon is malt loaf saurine we've spoken about this haven't we yeah oh it is honestly yeah i could i could build i could build bricks out of that stuff the amount that we've got in the house it's like my favorite thing is when you go into the supermarket it's on sale for a pound and i just like just empty the entire shelf into my trolley yeah yeah exactly just sweep my arm all of it in the trolley and then we've got one of those big american fridge freezers i just shove it all in there and it lasts me about a week and then i need to go back <laughs> so there's, a, there's a week done but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, between, between between malt loaf and squares bars it's got your carbohydrate intake sorted yeah um, absolutely yeah. But I, I absolutely loved what you said in terms of, I think a lot of people look at this from the outside. They're like, oh, your diet must've been this, your diet must've been that. And like, it comes down to one of my, one of my favorite sayings, and you actually mentioned it's just world-class basics. Mm -hmm. um, it actually comes from the New Zealand All Blacks. And I'm sorry, but if the New Zealand All Blacks are arguably probably one of the, the greatest rugby teams of all time, um, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. And it's good enough <laughs> for everybody out there, okay? Like it comes down to world-class is just never not doing the basics. If you literally just ticked off your basics in terms of you got the right amount of food in, 
Okay, so you're so you're looking to recover. You need to be at maintenance or even in a slight calorie surplus on some days. If you're in a deficit one day, it doesn't really matter. Just top up the next. Be consistently good. Get good quality food in. Get enough protein in. You're going to be sweet. It doesn't have to yeah. be fucking science like people try and make it. It really doesn't. Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And it is is interesting. Um, you know, I for a long time, um, you know, I didn't even use protein supplements or anything like that. You know, it was, it was for me, it was, um, you can get most of the protein. I, you know, I, I think I do now, um, just because, you know, my protein intake is, is that much higher and it's more efficient to get it through a kind of concentrated way and things like that. But it's, you know, my, my post gym, when I was, when I was at uni, my post gym snack was, um, a pint of milk and that was it. I just chugged my pint of milk on the way home. Um, and yeah, it doesn't, it, it, it I, I don't think it needs to be complex. Um, I think the, the sport science industry has a lot to answer for in terms of you know making it more complex than it needs to be um you know i'm sure if you are if you're in that kind of one percent and it really makes a difference then then that's fine but for the 99 percent who aren't in the one percent i i don't think there's really much value in it 100 percent. it's the it's the whole 80 20 principle like 80 percent of your results are going to come from 20 percent yeah um and it's nailing those little bits that people people look at the elite athletes and they think hey they're doing that so if i do that it's going to be this magical pill for example whereas there are things think for example protein they're called a supplement for a reason they supplement your training and nutrition if you haven't got your basics in date you will get basically zero benefit from them whereas if you have got everything else dialed in and you take them they may help a tiny little bit but realistically, unless you're creme de la creme, <laughs> you're probably not really going to notice a difference. Um, yeah. It's funny you mentioned the protein shakes, and I've had this argument with multiple people. There's only two times that I think you should use a protein shake. One, you really struggle to get enough protein in. If you are, then you probably need to look at your nutrition realistically, okay? Mm-hmm. Because getting the average guy probably eats 160 to 180 grams of protein, 200 tops, okay? It's not that difficult, okay? And then... The second time is purely for convenience. You've got probably the best part of 12, 15 hours a week of training at the moment. You've mm-hmm. got a full-time, full-time job. You've got dogs and you've got a girlfriend to keep happy as well. <laughs> time, time, time can be limited. So sometimes it is easier to have a shake than it is to sit down and make a whole meal. So those are the only two times that I personally think um, you should be kind of looking at those supplements and don't be looking at them unless you've got everything else in place. Um, how about the nutrition within the race? Yeah, uh, malt loaf. Just I say, just malt loaf. Malt loaf. Just malt loaf. <laughs> so, so um, obviously, weight is at a premium, um, and you know, I I deliberately took kind of um, you know as much as as much as I thought I was going to want. Um, but I bought so my key my key meals obviously kind of three meals a day. Um, breakfast was an entire malt loaf every day. So that's eight hundred calories, um, and then lunch and dinner. Um, I got these, um, uh, or did I have lunches? Can't remember what I did for lunches, but di- so dinners were, cu- you kind of get these freeze dried packets. It's called expedition foods. And so it's, you know, it, it, you might think, oh, it's dry versus wet, but actually the water in food weighs a lot. So if you were to take six days worth of food, you're potentially carrying an extra kilo, kilo and a half of water just from what you've got in the food. So everybody takes dehydrated food because it saves actually quite a lot of weight um so one of those in the evening um and then through the day i basically just brought variety so it was a lot of um high uh, high fat because obviously because it's it's so calorie dense so you get about six uh, six calories per gram of fat versus about three i think three and a half not not nine for fats four for carbs okay there we go so twice as calorie dense so in terms of like calorie to or power to weight ratio like fats were basically just the way to go um just to kind of carry enough and then what i would do is during the day i had everything in kind of like so i portioned everything up so i'd have like an energy bar i'd have a couple of bags of like salted cashew nuts i'd have some like you know honey peanuts and things like that and then i would just be every so i have my protocol every 10 minutes i take on some water and every half an hour i take on some food and it would be a handful of nuts it would be half an energy bar it would be you know whatever it was um and that would basically get me through the day and then i'd have my my evening meal um but as i said i think it was you know i, could, I can go back and have a look at my records but i think it was 
it was basically between four and a half and five thousand calories a day I took with me. Um, and I and I still ended up losing weight. You know, there was someone looked at me at the end of the week and he was like, I've watched you get leaner over the course of this week, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if you're the best part of seven, eight thousand cows daily burnt. Yeah. So yeah. it's essentially you're probably losing a pound a day. Yeah. I mean, we, that sounds about right. Yeah. We think a, a pound of body fat is equal to about three and a half thousand calories. Um, so a pound a day, three and a half thousand calories a day. So you're looking over over the five days, you're probably looking at losing half, nearly half a stone. Yeah. And what was it? So I, I you know, my my benchmark um, estimate for myself, my yardstick is always that I weigh 75 kilos. And so I remember when we started working together a couple of weeks after I came back, I said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. My weight's about 75 kilos. And then I bought a set of scales and suddenly found out I was actually 72. And I was like, oh, that'll be where the, all the weight from MDS went. <laughs> yeah, literally. Got shredded in a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So if you, want, if you want to get beach ready, which yeah. obviously isn't a theme, if you want to get beach ready, go and spend six days running in the desert. Sort you right out. There you go. And you get... And you get to eat five, six thousand calories a day as well. Exactly, exactly. It's literally the best of both worlds. <laughs> Love it. So, um, my question it was: Was the race like? What What was it like? Describe it for me. So, um, it's so it's organised by a Frenchman. So that's the first thing. That says, um, that says it, it, all. it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically the straight like the what they do is they they set up this huge camp in the desert and there's a sort of a um you know a horseshoe of tents um and they've got the kind of local crew set up these i mean you call it a tent really it's just it's an enormous blanket with two two poles um to to kind of prop it up um and they they set up this amazing camp and you sort of get there and you're in a tent of sort of eight to ten uh six to eight other people uh i didn't know anyone when i first arrived so i kind of got into my tent and everybody was you know we were we're all roughly the same age, you know, between kind of 28 and 40, um, you know, white guys, which to be honest is, is pretty much um, the standard, you know, of the thousand people who run it, it's probably about 50% young white men. Um, but that's just the way it goes. Um, and then, uh, so you start racing um, and you get given a kind of guidebook, you get given a road book that's got the route on it. Um, but unless you're, unless you're the front runner, um, you pretty much just follow the person in front of you, to be honest, um, and get up at um, get up at dawn every morning, which, um, you know, in April was uh, around sort of starts getting light about five, five thirty in the morning. Um, they come down and, and start ripping the tents down. So you get yourself ready. And then at about eight in the morning, they get you on the start line. Um, you know, uh, the guy who organizes it every morning would would kind of give his little spiel and go on for about 20 minutes talking about uh, come see come sir <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly being very french and flamboyant and then uh, and then they play highway to hell every single morning Love it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then set us off and, and that was it you basically just you basically just run um for you know sort of however long the, however long the route is for that day and then you arrive in a camp in the evening and you've got your tent and there's you know, really good medical support and you kind of go and get your feet sorted out and things like that. And they give you water resupply and, you know, all those sort of bits and pieces. Um, and then while you're out on the route, obviously every roughly every 10 K you go through a checkpoint um, and they, and they give you, you know, one or two bottles of water and then you kind of crack on. Um, but apart from that, it's like, you pretty much, you, you race how you want to race. Um, so for me, what I really wanted was, um, you know, just kind of to, to have that feeling of being in the desert and being in solitude and things like that. So uh, with the exception of maybe an hour, an hour and a half, I pretty much ran the whole thing on my own. Um, and it was amazing just kind of having that, having that freedom and just completely disconnecting, being in this incredible environment that you'd never normally get to get to be in. Um, and, and yeah, just spend that time, spend that time with myself and, and, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Absolutely awesome. I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine this. It's one of the biggest things for me. I think we just live, live in a world now where it's constantly, you're constantly stimulated or your attention's being ding, 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 ding. That's one of the biggest things that kind of got me into more endurance stuff. Like if, even if I went back three, four years, if you'd asked me to run a 5k, I would have told you to fuck off. Okay. <laughs> like I was like, I played rugby. I run the length of the pitch. I scored trying to turn around and that's it. Okay. <laughs> but 
especially as work got busier, life got busier and things like that, like running, I, I'm too go, go, go for meditation, but like running became my form of meditation because it was the only time I felt like I got complete kind of solitude, but I could felt like the, the motion was kind of like, um, yeah, literally like that meditation for me. And it, it's, it's amazing the conversations you have in your head and the kind of ideas that come up and things like that. For me, it's once you've built that baseline of fitness, and people say they hate running or they hate kind of endurance sports because you haven't built that baseline. You haven't got to the point where it becomes enjoyable. Um, and yeah. you can have, you can have that just you blinking fuck where's 10 K gone. Yeah. It's yeah. that, that's just like, it's a different feeling. Um, so what was the whole thing? Was it what you expected? Like, obviously you had, I can imagine you had this image of what it was going to be like, how it was going to feel and things like that. Was it what it expected? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So I, I had this, I, I built it up in my head that it was just this this huge, unachievable, um, I mean, achievable, but unachievable um, feat. Um, and, you know, right the way up until probably just before Christmas, um, you know, I had this idea that I was like, I need to be in the middle of the pack. I need to be, I need to be, I need to be average. I, I didn't want to be kind of hanging out at the back. Um and so I remember I went back to a random year, I think it was about 2017. I looked at all the times that people had set and I picked, you know, I said, right, 800 people finished it. So number 400 did it in 40 hours. That's my benchmark. I have to be quicker than 40 hours. And there was no other reason for it than pride. It was just that I didn't want to be in the bottom half. But that, that was literally it. Um, and so I was working for, for a long time on this assumption. I was like, I have to be, I have to be in the top half. I have to be in the top half. Um, and, and I was kind of anticipating it being this, this, you know, sort of really, really tough challenge. And then about two or three months beforehand, I kind of had this moment when I was out running and I was like, why, why do I feel like I have to be in the top half? Like, I have no idea who's going to turn up and run this thing. I could, I could turn up and there could be a thousand world-class athletes and me, you know, and, and no matter how hard I try, I'm going to be the last man, even if I'm the fittest I've ever been, I run as fast as I can, I, you know, and, and by trying to be in the middle of the pack, there's a very good chance that I'm going to fail and I won't finish, you know, and that for me was a real moment. And I was like, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and I'm going to enjoy it. And that was my key objective was firstly to, to finish, but then to enjoy it as well. And I was like, I can't let I can't let my own pride get in the way of me going out there and enjoying it and finishing it. And if that means that I have to pull all the levers that I've got available to me, and the only one I've got left is to cut it, cut my speed in half and just walk the entire thing. And that's what I'm going to do. And so actually I literally did that. I walked the entire thing and I came in the middle of the pack, <laughs> you know, because everybody else went charging off at the start, you know, and after day one, I was in the, you know very very firmly in the bottom third um and then predictably people realized they'd gone off too fast they started to slow down they started to get injuries but i basically just plodded well i didn't i i you know i called on my army training and i did i basically forced marched for 250 kilometers so it's a quick you know kind of averaging five six k an hour um and yeah, and came middle of the pack. And so that moment for me of abandoning my pride and saying, my objective is to finish, not finish in the top half, finish in the top 10%, whatever it was. Um, yeah, that was a kind of real pivotal moment for me. Um, and it changed the way I think I approached the race and, and I think ultimately made it much more enjoyable. Yeah. And end of the day, you ended up with the result you wanted. But yeah, ironically enough, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was like, we're like um, kind of almost without trying. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think it's an amazing thing. You, you like, you've really come out. It was really nice that you shared that. So thank you. Um, I think so many people, like the only person that puts pressure on you is you. Yeah. Um, and I would genuinely believe that your happiness is like a, a ratio between your expectation and reality. Like sometime you've genuinely got to look down and look at your reality. And like, I'm so guilty of this. And this is one of the reasons that I've come to the realization as well is I have this unreal expectation of myself, particularly like let's take earlier this year when we were traveling, I was like, why is my training not perfect? Why is my nutrition not perfect? Why am I not hitting the numbers that I want to? Why is my fitness maintaining? It's not fucking going up. Like Simon, you've slept in seven beds in two weeks because you've been traveling around. You've been in six different time zones. And I just had to manage my expectations on what was going on at the time. And if you constantly trying to have that battle between your expectations and reality and they're not aligned, 
then you will just end up not following through on what you want to do and you will just end up hating it and then just bidding it, which is not worth it in anything because you've embarked on this for a reason, okay? And from what I'm listening from what you say, I think maybe your reason why you wanted to do MDS potentially in that moment change from I'm doing this because I want to prove to others that I can to I'm doing this for me. Yeah. That's what I'm understanding from what you kind of said there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It was, it was, it was, I'm doing this for the, I'm doing this for the sense of satisfaction that I'm going to get from crossing the finish line and knowing that I've done everything I can to get there. You know, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it, it's purely for my own satisfaction. And you're, you're the one who crossed it. You've probably got the photo and you've got the medal to prove it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not going to hear, but I do somewhere. Yeah. You still, you, still, you still sleep with it at night, don't you? I know. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Next step is getting a tattoo. It's... <laughs> Love it. So uh, how was the recovery? That's my question, because 250K is a lot of miles. Uh, yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't walk for uh, the, I mean, the blisters. So, um, the, the blisters on the pads of my feet, on the balls of my feet were, so I've got quite thick skin on the, on the balls of my feet anyway, um, but there was blisters underneath them. So like right the way deep inside. Um, and it was, it was so painful. I couldn't walk on, I couldn't walk with flat feet for, for about a week. I had to walk on the blades of my feet, on the outside of my feet. Um, in terms of recovery, before I was actually able to really start doing anything, it was about two weeks before I really kind of wanted to, to even think about getting back in the gym or going out for a run or anything. Um, and we, for the first, we were another good couple of weeks before we were back properly running as well, weren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was. I, I remember I had a that, and in fact, it's only it's only really in the last couple of weeks that it's really kind of completely sorted itself out. I think there was actually something buried in the ball of my right foot that was causing me a problem. I think it was like a stone or something. Um, and so every kind of couple of weeks, this problem with my right foot would flare up again. And I'd have to kind of have to kind of scale everything back. Um, but yeah, we started working together kind of early, mid-April. Um, and it wasn't until end of April, beginning of May that I was really kind of starting to actually, actually really run again. Um, yeah. Now we've got a couple of half marathons under our belt. We do. Some pretty solid and some pretty solid, uh, <laughs> pace as well. Um, what was it like mentally after? Because I can imagine kind of going from that, ma- like I know I had this even just running the marathon, like that massive high of the race, the build up, I've done all this training, amazing to then finish it. I- I- I'm not gonna lie, for me, the marathon was almost like a bit, finishing was almost a bit like an anti-climax of like the mm-hmm. like a bit of a dump. I-, I-, I did find that quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, no, I, th- I- yes, definitely. And I think, so NDS, probably the pinnacle uh, or, or the, the sort of um, the peak of this feeling. But I think after every endurance event that I've done, I've had a kind of similar thing, which is that in the kind of, particularly the kind of week afterwards, you get this massive low. And I think it's a combination of kind of, you have this enormous high with all the endorphins, but then also over time, the accumulation of all of that, you know, you get used to having that exercise induced, those endorphins flowing from exercise, and then you kind of have to take this rest afterwards. So the week afterwards is like, well, I've done the thing. I can't do any exercise. Like, what what am I doing? What am I for? Why am I, you know, where am I going to get this, this rush from? Um, and that and that kind of week to 10 days afterwards is, is yeah, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. You get this massive kind of crash um yeah it's tough yeah i don't think anyone speaks about it either no no it's everyone everyone you know all you see is the finish line picture and the you know people smiling with the medals and you know and all that sort of stuff and holding their bike up at the finish line but you don't ever hear people talk about the crushing depression that comes afterwards this this yeah. isn't trying to put anyone off it's just that no no of course no. like it's uh but it, it is true it is it's it's so worth it, but it is, it is, it's just a really strange feeling because it's not what you expect, which is why I'm always trying to sh- share this here as well, because I did have that kind of like, oh, like that's why, why for me, I always like to have a, an idea of what's next. I don't necessarily like to have like, this is what's happening next, because I know me after the marathon, I actually rushed into my next training block too quickly. And then I got 
pissed off because I didn't manage my expectations because <laughs> um, I went straight into trying to do the five and 500 and fatigue was still there and all these different things. And I just got pissed off because I wasn't able to operate and perform the standard that I wanted to. So I think it's having an idea of what next. So you don't kind of sit in that lull for too long, but then kind of making sure you also give you time to recover. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a really good point to touch on there. Cause like I said, I don't think anyone kind of speaks, speaks about it. Um, yeah. What's the biggest lesson you learned from, I think two sides of it, like one, the, the whole kind of prep of it and two running 250 K in the Sahara desert. <laughs> so, um, biggest thing for prep, I think for me was, um, was train to race. So whatever you, whatever you want to achieve, you know, whether that's, um, you know, running for a particular marathon time or whether it's, you know, training to lift a particular, you know, you're kind of, you talked about your five and five hundreds, you know, those kind of things. It's about, it's about shaping your training and your preparation for that and kind of thinking about everything, you know? Um, so all of that stuff. So I was, I was carrying all my own kit and I made sure that I went out with a bag that I was carrying with two water bottles that I was going to be carrying. And I made sure that I tried a few different water bottles to see which ones were going to work for me. And I thought about where I was going to put my snacks so they'd be accessible. And I thought about what my protocol was going to be when I got into the checkpoints and how I was going to manage that. And so that all of that preparation, it's not just about getting yourself physically ready for it, which of course is a huge element, but it's also about all that peripheral stuff that you need to do as well. Um, and that combined with what I learned on the race, which was about my nutrition hydration strategy, um, those two, I think, were the biggest lessons. So on the race, um, you know, I, I basically I crashed out of Ironman last year because I didn't get my nutrition or hydration right. That's basically what happened. There was a couple of other factors as well, but broadly, that was 90 percent of the problem. Um, and, you know, I was kind of one of these people going into it into Ironman last year I was like oh I need to have you know just energy gels and I need to be thinking about this and I don't really want to use sports drinks and, and all that sort of stuff and then went out to the desert and they basically give you water and then these salt tablets like runner salt tablets that have got thousand milligram salt tablets in them sodium milligrams of salt yeah <laughs> basically just pure sodium and they are amazing absolutely amazing so i did I, I did 250 kilometers in the desert just with water and salt tablets and i didn't get cramp once like no cramp no heat no dehydration nothing at all um and so those two things so train everything train the whole race and sort out the nutrition and hydration those have been my two biggest things i'm carrying into iron man when i do it again in, in sort of six or eight weeks time that's my those are my two big lessons yeah, 100%. I think that just kind of ties into set yourself up for success. Yeah. Like, tra like trainers you want to race is just like, look after every detail and give yourself every opportunity that you possibly can to be successful come the race. Uh, and then in the race, just make sure you look after the little 1%. So look after, control the controllables. Mm -hmm. There are going to be variables out if you do an endurance race, whatever you do that you can't control. For example, you couldn't control the temperature. Mm-hmm that was you couldn't do there's nothing you can do about that you're not god okay but <laughs> you could control your hydration you could control yeah, yeah. your sleep as best you could you could control how much how many calories you put in you control your pace you control all these different variables control what you can control and give yourself the best opportunity for success um yeah. and when i look at people from like a coaching perspective um i just people like they don't set themselves up for success they, they they fail before they even start because they don't give themselves the opportunity to succeed yeah um, and I think that's why you've obviously managed to accomplish this amazing feat, which is absolutely epic. Would you do it again? I would, I would, but I think I, so I would need to having, having, having not set, having set myself the target of just finishing this time. I think if I was going to do it again, I'd have to set myself a stretch goal and, and, and then, and then having done it and knowing how to succeed at it, I would do something like, okay, I need to, I, not, I need to, I would aim to finish in the top quarter or the top 10% or something like that. Um, but yeah, I would, but then there's also the balance of all these other challenges that I want to go away and do as well. So take off, take off the next one. What's one, yeah, or two, exactly. what's one or two on the list apart from the Ironman? I'm intrigued. So, yeah. So, so Ironman, Ironman in six weeks. And then I've also got my eye on um, rowing the Atlantic. That's another big one that I want to do. Um, 
and so those are, those are kind of two big ones um i think i'll i'll get off iron man and if i'm still in a relationship you know <laughs> yeah laura my, my partner calls herself an iron man widow um at the moment she uh you know because i'm i'm up and out um at, at you know i sort of get up at five in the morning and i'm out training at, at 5 30 and and then i and then i go off to work and come home and train and then we eat and then we go to bed and you know we get to the weekend and she's like so what are we doing this weekend and i'm like well i've got a four-hour cycle i don't know what you're doing <laughs> your lunchtime yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, um yeah uh, on that, I think it's actually quite an interesting point that some people might find really, really beneficial. How, how do you go about, and obviously it's a very, very difficult situation to manage, but how, how have you gone about obviously trying to balance um, just like work, life, social life um, with the volume of training that we do have in place at the moment? Yeah, it's, re- it's really, really tough. Um, it is really tough. I think, um, I think for, so for me, it's about, it's about priorities. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate in that um, you know, you mentioned I've got got two dogs, um, you know, but uh, my partner, Lauren, is is incredibly supportive. Um, you know, consistently, she just says that she wants me to succeed um, and she wants to, you know, to do as much as she can to to, to allow me to achieve my dreams. Um, and so I think I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do what I do without her. And that's not a sort of platitude. That's genuinely I just wouldn't be able to do it because, as you said, you know, I have a full time job that I'm working you know, 45, 50 hours a week. And then I'm also training for another 15 hours a week on top of that. And I've got, you know, two dogs, one of which is a, you know, an eight month old German shepherd who needs to be run for another, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week. Um, So I think it's about, um, it's about having a support team around you, having your kind of, you know, your, 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 your support crew, who can kind of help you get through those, get through those things and allow you to prioritize or allow me to prioritize what I need to do. Uh, but then also recognizing that that ultimately something has to give, um, and and at the moment I don't I just don't have a social life. Like that's it, you know. Um, and that's but that's something I've kind of I, you know I've I've decided that for six months my sole focus is going to be on um, Ironman, um, you know, uh, to the detriment of my social life, and and to you know unfortunately I live with my partner, so we can at least kind of still spend that time together. Um, but yeah, it's you know you don't you don't achieve anything without sacrificing something, um, and it, it's it's a question of how much you want to sacrifice and how much you want to um, you know to, to to give up to achieve something. Obviously, there's a balance involved. You can't do that consistently for the rest of your life. Um, but it's yeah, it's about deciding that something's going to happen, and then making it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think you like conveyed that really well. One thing that I absolutely love about yourself and it's uh i've used it as well it's something called forced evolution you find a date you book it in and then you make it happen uh i think think a lot of people can really take a lot away from that so so many people leave it to if buts and maybes put a fucking date in place and just work backwards there's something really powerful about a time-bound goal if you want to get into shape book a photo shoot book a holiday if you want to do a fitness book a marathon book a half marathon book marathon to Saab if you want to okay just find something work it backwards if you surround yourself with the right people you put the right plan in place you communicate why this is important to you and that it is going to be a priority and you're not you're willing to make this relevant sacrifices there's nothing stopping you being able to achieve that there really really isn't so um dude i cannot thank you enough for jumping on doing this today it's been absolutely incredible and uh I know for myself and obviously the AS team, I know everyone listen, I know you'll crush the Ironman. It's going to be super, super exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll have to do a catch up after the Ironman and do a take two. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I've lost another three kilos, we'll see what happens. <laughs> maybe we'll just do a photo shoot straight after. <laughs> You're already walking around shredded anyway. Um, one question which I always like to ask people, if you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? put you on the spot with this one haven't i oh you really have you really have okay so um so my um i used to play bass guitar um and my my hero um is flea from the red hot chili peppers um so he would definitely be on the list um fortunately he's still alive i went to see them a couple of weeks ago and they absolutely killed it um hot chili peppers was the first ever cd that i bought really which which album was it? It must have been like what what's hits or something like that. 
Oh yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, th- cause that was a really early one. That was like early nineties kind of. Yeah. It was my uh, mum's best friend's son. He introduced me to them. I remember yeah. going, going to HMV when that was a, when that was a thing. <laughs> I sound like I'm about 95 right now. Yeah. And for, for, for your younger listeners, a CD contained music. <laughs> yeah. I used to have to go to the shop and buy this disc. And you had to yeah, put... yeah. <laughs> and God help you if you scratched it, because that was it. Oh. It was the end. Screwed. <laughs> um, yeah, so first first would be first would be Flea. Um, all right, who else would I want to invite to dinner? Um br- 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 I reckon um, Ricky Gervais. Yeah, that'd be jokes. Ricky Gervais would just just be awesome. Went to see him a few weeks, uh, 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 a few months ago, um, and it was yeah, it was just it was just insane, absolutely insane. Um, and then my final one, who would my final one be? So at the moment, I'm reading um, I'm reading Wolf Hall, um, oh. and I reckon I'd probably go for someone. Yeah, I, I don't know, probably like I go for Henry VIII, I reckon. Um yeah, I think I'd, I think that should be good fun. Just just have someone like absolutely batshit crazy who just comes from a completely different world, no understanding of anything that normal people go through. Yeah. yeah that would be it. That would be an interesting my one of mine was Jeremy Clarkson. I think it'd just be Oh yeah. <laughs> it'd just be a funny one. Yeah. yeah. I think the rock would have to be in there for me as well. Just oh gonna... my god, the rock. Yes. Yeah. He's one of the few people that I actually follow on Instagram because I think he's just awesome. Beast. An absolute beast. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a good question. It makes people think. Um, yeah. Especially when you say dead or alive because mm. it opens up a whole different, uh, opens up a big, a big, uh, a big pool of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, dude, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, um, please give this a share to your social media. Give myself a tag. Um, and if you can, leave Dave some love in the comments below and wish him good luck for the Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> I'd really appreciate it. Dude, you're absolutely bonkers crazy, but I love it. And uh, best of luck. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, buddy.